0: what's up browns fans we're live on a i think it's tuesday night you do lose track of these things sometimes i'm pretty excited to bring in my guest who i'm not going to waste any time for his name is jeff lloyd he is at jeff underscore lj underscore lloyd he is the man the myth and the legend of locked on browns who you also are listening to i promise you that jeff what is up my friend
1: uh, Jake, it's been too long, and uh, my first thoughts here about this after this weekend sitting down here with you is, uh, we had so many conversations in 2017, like, and a lot of them were to the point of, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> like, is this what we signed it up? Is this what we signed up? Like, is this what we re- truly, truly want to cover? Are we sure about yeah. this? um you know so much has changed for you and you know as your life has grown uh you know mine as well and you know, our, our work and the fact now that we we, we talk about it and it's like like he's got a little bit of a little swagger like you grab the belt loops of the pants like yeah I, I got no problem doing Cleveland Browns content no problem
0: doing it whatsoever <laughs> yeah man it's a good time we've we uh Jeff and I started a similar time we was kind of talk about this when we get together we started around 2017 and we've Watch some ugly football and now we've watched some good football it's been a wild roller coaster of an adventure to get here um but we're here and we're going to talk a couple different things we're going to talk about the draft and then we're going to talk about where 2020's position battles go and, and and some interesting pickups of late so yeah we'll, we'll kind of most of my fans i feel like jeff you know have a feel for what i think of the draft i'm curious you know just quick reaction on some of the early picks and then maybe the day three guys you don't think uh you don't maybe see the vision of where those guys were going. Uh, I I think when you start with day one, it was just
1: the way, I mean, first things first, and like there's like a, like almost like a movie aspect to it. You know, Andrew Berry leaves the delivery room, you know, leaves his wife and his third youngest child. So, I mean, you know, congratulations to the Berries. I hope they had all the help at home possible, but obviously Andrew had some work to do for the next 72 hours. Um, But just the way it played back and like, we were kind of joking about this on the show. Like there were the most gracious guests It was like, well, the Browns really seem to need a cornerback at 26. This class has four cornerbacks that are probably really slated to go in that range. And then it fell into their lap. They didn't have to make a move. Ended up with Greg Newsome. You know, it meets the age guardrail, meets the physical guardrail, meets the length guardrail, production. I mean, everything about it just lined up to be a perfect pick. Um, And again, none of this is based on Greedy Williams. If Greedy Williams is healthy, the Browns now have – a embarrassment almost of riches at the cornerback position as they have four deep minimum. Uh, then you get into night two. Um, and then that was there. That's where the talk was, you know, is there going to be something that'll come up striking, striking distance wise? Is there a player for the Browns? And the name kept falling and with so many Browns fans and you know, whether it was the girl gang and so many other Browns fans, obviously where JOK, got, I saw the still pictures guys. Trust me. I saw the still pictures. I, I, I saw the reaction. Um, They trade up. They get Jeremiah, Wusu, <laughs> Karamoa. And this is not only were the Browns trying to build, you know, the you know back end of the defense, the front end of the defense. So much talk we all had about linebacker was, well, what do you deem a linebacker now for the Browns? And I think that was the biggest thing that got misconstrued between fans and all of us who go as deep as we do. I don't think what they view as linebacker is what most people view as linebacker. Jeremiah Wusu karamoa a guy who can play linebacker, can play secondary. A, you needed two games a year just to deal with, you know, Lamar Jackson. Then you're going to need it more coverage-wise to beat the teams like the Chiefs, to play with the teams like the Bills. And you get a player like that to just fall into your lap. Uh, it, it just It was great. And, you know, for me, Anthony Schwartz was the guy I had pegged. When you had a receiving core as great as they were route runners late in the season, Jake, but you knew what they were lacking. And with Baker Mayfield having to almost essentially be perfect, he wasn't given home run cuts. He had to, you know, and I know this is one of your favorite lines death by a, you know, a thousand paper cuts. That's almost the way Baker Mayfield had to win last year. He had to be so perfect playing in a box. It was just obvious. Why wouldn't you be interested in the fastest receiver in this class? So he got within striking distance. Anthony Schwartz certainly needs some work. I mean, you have to keep in mind he was a dual sport athlete in college. Track was very serious. Um, he very well could have not played football this past fall. If you know he was able to train for the Olympics, had gotten chosen, it would have been a really difficult decision. Do you go to the Olympics or do you continue on a path towards you know possibly being an NFL player? Uh, for the Browns, it worked out. Anthony Schwartz got better. He still has work to do. We all agree on this, which we would say about any other wide receiver who got drafted in the third round. But those first three selections and hitting on needs and hitting on what your thought process was of getting younger, getting faster, bang, 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 Andrew Barry just had a phenomenal couple of first nights.
0: Well, the first I think the first three picks people have found to be okay. We've wrote about them at the OBR. I covered the, uh, the first two in depth. I didn't really write on Anthony, but I'll go back and do my own study of him. I know Johnny Kinsley did it for us. I think he, he's got plenty to like, and you can certainly justify one of his traits being something that would draw you in. What I'm interested, Jeff, is your day three opinions. I'm in the midst of James Hudson, who I like. I think is, is it's early for me. I'm, I'm going to try to write it up tonight, but I like him enough that I understand and it's a justifiable pick. And from there, I think you can see a path for the rest of the guys, but there might not be as clear a path as some think. Talk about your day three people that maybe, you know, we won't spend much time on James Hudson, but the the Tony Fields, the Richard LeCounts, the Demetrius Feltons. Talk to me about what you think of those guys. It seemed like, and
1: like I jokingly say this, and like, like we can look, we can say things about this organization now, where maybe we don't see it, but it does not mean that we are disrespecting the work that they have done. It almost seems like kind of like when whoever was the last one out of the building Friday night kind of hit the analytics button, and like nobody reset it going into day three. Hudson was a little bit of a mysterious pick, but if Bill Callahan, and which well, you probably have to think you know, there was something there where Bill Callahan said, I can work with this, whether it's in the interior, whether it's maybe putting him at right tackle, the, the right combination of feistiness, nastiness, um, just, you know, wanting to put a body on a body. Uh, sure. Is he, you know, incomplete? You know, is this, the size is there to be a tackle. The length, the athleticism probably doesn't translate. So, of course, maybe more of an inside type of player. Uh, Togiye, and this is where it's interesting with Tommy Togiye is you have a nice blend of core strength. Showed it very well. Nice athleticism never really got a a large amount of the playing time at ohio state this was probably going to be the case this past fall certainly didn't work out and you know, you can't blame the young man for that but then it was just kind of like the athletic the the athletic uh, analytics kind of got kicked out of the way but the thing is is if coramoa is going to be this type of player then you would need somebody to back this up. We talk about it. If you want to play three safeties, you need four safeties. Maybe you need five safeties. If you really like what, you know, JOK is going to be able to do for you, you want somebody similar who might be able to give you the same thing. And you do that with Tony Fields. This is also the gravitation out of the traditional view of what linebackers are and what exactly they are in 2021 as opposed to the teams you play. You know, it's not going to work uh, to play, you know, Taki Taki to play, uh, you know, Anthony Walker against maybe the Chiefs. You're going to be as athletic as possible, and, and you know, circumnavigate what you don't have. So those moves, and you know, for Fields, look, and a lot of it's going to be uh, special teams. It's going to be you know learning the NFL game on the fly because nothing is guaranteed. There's a lot of players in front of almost everybody that was drafted this past weekend for the Browns which is great. Uh, Richard LeCount, the thing for me with LeCount is if his pro day was not that good, and then afterwards when he had his post-draft interviews, well, no, everything's okay now, you wonder were there long-lasting effects you know, uh, you know, from this dirt bike accident? You know, that's my one concern. Um, you, you're going to tell me you've got a defensive back from the University of Georgia where you got it, seven interceptions over the last couple of years, uh, you know, likes to run around. Uh, he's an intelligent player, should be able to contribute on special teams. The athleticism was a scratcher there. Demetric Felton, and this is where it even gets even more confusing with Felton is, he was one of the fastest players at the senior bowl. And then you see these pro day numbers, and it was just like, well, you know, did somebody just, were there no watches involved? Were there no stopwatches? And then people, oh, well, he can maybe be kick returner. Well, if he runs a four six, maybe that doesn't really translate. But again, there's the thought process within that front office of, we may not be able to keep all these guys, even though we drafted them, they all may not make this team. And yes, it's a huge, huge progression to where this roster turnover is now. But you know, you would think maybe, well, let's gamble on an athlete or let's gamble with somebody who maybe had a little bit more production. Um, that was a little bit confusing. And, and one of my favorite moments out of day three, believe it or not, and you know, Florida State Homer Jeff was Marvin Wilson. I, I think, look, you know, I would rather get to Marvin Wilson, get inside his head, and say, Look, young man, you want to make your $300,000 or do you want to make millions? You know, you this is you were somebody that was supposed to be slated to be drafted extremely high and make a lot of money. Somehow that lamp went out. You know, it, can you rechange the light bulb inside Marvin Wilson? If you do that, you have yourself the capability of somebody being the top defensive tackle on this team. And you got them for peanuts. And that, for me, was probably one of the most impressive things they were able to come out of day three with.
0: Well, that kind of brings me to my next point. When you're talking about Tommy Togiai and some of these guys, and obviously bringing in Marvin Wilson too, it's like, okay, we we saw them bring in Togiai. We talked about the the defensive tackle room. I know you've covered it on your podcast as well, and the Sheldon Richardson cut and what it means for playing time. And and uh, you know, ultimately for me, I was not impressed in the in the slightest with Jordan Elliott's rookie season. So I'm like, I'm all about adding to that position. And they come out of the draft with Togi I, and they come out of it with a guy that they paid a premier amount of money to. And like you said, Marvin Wilson. So in my opinion, I'm like, okay, they feel like they've got this thing covered. Now they got defensive tackle squared away. They feel good. Then they bring in two other people, right? They bring in, um, uh, the, the McDowell today. And then I, the other fellow Squires. that's his last name. yeah. Or, Squires. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so, uh, ultimately they're not they're wanting to create as much interior defensive line depth battle position movement as they possibly can and i think that probably points back to your point with togei about like okay they took him but do they feel great about him yeah they drafted jordan elliott last year do they feel great about him where do you kind of see that room going do you think that these guys they've brought in um today and 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 kind of marvin wilson are they a real contender or is it as simple as it's probably just going to be billings jackson Elliot and Togiai and then they maybe have someone fight for a fifth I'm kind of I'm kind of curious what consensus is around some of these defensive tackles because it's just been like okay bang 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 they've added all three of these guys and uh maybe their camp bodies Jeff I don't know man we don't know what they really think but maybe they think there's something more there right my first thinking is do they have maybe any confidence in the room
1: like deep true confidence in anybody else than Malik Jackson Obviously, the longest standing career of anybody at this point in the NFL, you know what you've got. You've got a pass rusher You know from the interior. You can kick him out. He can do some things out there. Not so much to pass rushing, but maybe he can play some run defense. Andrew Billings, who knows? I mean, this is weird because we're not hearing much on Andrew Billings. Yes, he's back in the fold and should be back in the fold, but we're not hearing much on that. So maybe where you know Marvin Wilson comes in, maybe Togiai comes in. And, of course, you, you certainly have to have some questions about Jordan Elliott when you added – these amount of names, I mean, you know, McDowell was once a name in this league. Um, you know, Squares, obviously, has played within this league. Billings, we'll see where they're at with that. D- you know, and then, uh, obviously, with Malik Jackson. And then you know, then you have the younger guys in Elliott, I, and Marvin Wilson. And this is somewhere where, you know, ideally, you would think maybe the Browns, as much as we've heard they want to play more edge on the interior, that would make you think that it would be five edges four defensive tackles. Now you are really, really deep. Is part of this just bringing in players that you think are capable of making other NFL rosters? So if it gets to the point late in the summer, somebody needs a defensive tackle, you can you know, find a way to accrue, accrue a draft uh, choice through one of these you know possible trades and moving on from one of these guys. I, I don't know if it's a
2: great room yet, but I think with the fact that you would... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. you need indeed
1: say you don't know if it's a great room yet it then it's smart to have a lot of depth with eight defensive tackles you know everybody essentially is on notice i mean and we could even say we don't even know if andrew billings is truly guaranteed you know the spot that we thought he had last year this is truly going to be a free-for-all which you know that will go on in this interior and if they're going to give reps to some of these edge players on the inside. These guys are going to have to fight even harder because, you know, even all individually and they all came at different times and all thought that maybe they'd have a sustainable future here in Cleveland. I'm not sure if you could truly you would feel confident signing off on any single one of them right now, having a sustainable future in Cleveland.
0: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends whose four way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Yeah, I should say it's Damian Square. I messed that up. Yes. The start. I apologize for that, folks. So, McDow- in- yeah. <laughs> so McDowell, listen, I wasn't really digging deep in the draft in 2017. I, I was kind of fringe on that stuff at that point. I didn't get into it like really crazy to the point that I would study a prospect like McDowell until 2018. Do you have any recollection of whether you liked him coming out or not? I mean, I know he didn't have the checkered past he's had uh, since this point, but just curious if you recall him and recall having an interest in him.
1: He was, at the time, you know, Malik Weetal was a very athletic player. Um, There were were the talks out of Michigan State that, you know, it was, you know, he viewed it like he was, you know, it was Michigan State, and then there was him on top of that. Um, Jeff Risden, as everybody knows, popular figure here. Um, Him and John Ledyard asked a question to Malik McDowell at the Combine. And Malik McDowell basically admitted, I'm just kind of doing what I feel like out there. And basically, you know, putting it to the point that he does his own thing, you know, not necessarily listening to the coaching. And this is where this has all gotten to a weird thing through social media the last couple of days. I am never in favor of these types of guys. There are so many players fighting for roster spots in the NFL. Roll the dice, you know, and this is what it is with Malik McDowell. Well, why don't roll, you roll the dice on somebody that maybe you know, deserves it? Signing Malik McDowell is like the most unanalytic move that I've ever seen. He you know, was a troublemaker in college, um, admitted to the fact that he basically did his own thing. He should have never been on that ATV. He was not supposed to be on it due to a contract that he had in the works. Um, then there is the off the field stuff. I just don't feel like look, there's so many guys vying for so many little spots in the NFL. Why even bother yourself with somebody where you can't go to bed at night without saying, well, all right, well, let's make sure you know the and the phone's here and it's close and the volume's on. Look, he may turn out to be something. He made it turn out to be nothing. But in the other one, is well, he was this, he was that guy. This is five seasons now, Jake. Five seasons. Um, you know, I'm sure whatever you were five years ago, you'd love to get it back. I'd love to get back to whatever I was five years ago, but this is the NFL. It's, it's really, really hard to figure that he is now going to be this strong athletic performer and you're not going to get better. And so many people say this in this, when it comes up with sitting out or anything of this nature is you're not going to get better at your craft by not performing your craft. It's been five years. I mean, let's hope for his sake that he at least knows how the equipment goes back on and he can make his way out to a practice.
0: Yeah, it's, I think, Jeff, it boils down to preference. I 100% completely and utterly understand where you're coming from. And I am of no position to ever tell anybody they're wrong about this feeling and wrong about that opinion. I'm probably way more lenient on this stuff than other people. I, I get that. And you know, this is ultimately what you can stomach. It's the same thing with the Kareem Hunt situation. It's what you can stomach and what you can separate, and some people can't. You know, and and like you said, we all have things that we would love to remove from a younger time in our lives. And maybe he's there. The hope is, the only hope is that he, in Andrew Barry's defense here, that he has a good judgment of character, and I think Andrew does seem like he's that type of guy not that Andrew's no infallible not that he's infallible not that he can't make a mistake here and tomorrow something happens with Malik and, uh, and then all of a sudden everyone looks silly like you're saying but what you trust here on the contrary and again your opinion is completely and utterly right that I can't say I'm right or you're wrong it's just, just how it is it's just an opinion of a person in a situation and you're right somebody who's done every single thing right in their life could have been passed up on this opportunity for this guy But ultimately, that's the job, whether he was an accountant, whether he was a whatever, if he's good enough, they're going to find a way to keep you around. But what you have to hope and what we hope for in this situation is that any employer who takes a risk on a person trying to make a comeback from a time in their life that was rough or a bad decision or a string of bad decisions is that they have found new life in the right form. And that's what we hope Andrew Barry has vetted. I have no reason to believe he is not. You are completely oh, right man. in your opinion that, that he is not worth it. He's not worth the time because I bet there were people in that front office who were talking to Andrew, and he has candid meetings. He is open and honest about everything, and I bet there were some guys who said, hey, I can't deal with that. I don't want that on this team. So I don't know. I don't know, man. I do know people change, and then there are some people who don't change. So that's just the thing you got to feel out, and at the end of the day, Jeff – if he does something really screwy, you'll have tweets at their seats to say, I was right. And Andrew Barry will have to get up in front of the podium and he will ultimately have to face the, the noise, the questions. Why did you do this? What was the reasoning? Did you think it was worth the risk? What he will have to answer those. And I'm sure he, he understands that. So uh, it is going to be one of the more interesting early decisions because he's been pretty squeaky clean. He didn't bring in Kareem Hunt. He, he nope. inherited Kareem Hunt and, and all of that that goes with it. But this is his first real risk on character in my opinion and I think he he put out a statement because he understands the risk that he is taking on character. So I'm pretty fascinated on where that comes and and or sorry where where it came from is interesting we won't necessarily know that but where it goes from here is an entirely fascinating thing. So um Listen, Jeff. That's that's kind of the stuff I wanted to bend your ear about. Do you got anything for me before we part ways, brother? Oh, most certainly, most certainly, Jake. If we have you here, we're going to bend your ear a little bit. Um,
1: Now, as far as you know, the way the draft went um, and the patience game, uh, the understanding that you know nine selections were going to be too many, um, which ended up being eight, uh, and now the Browns currently sit with eight for twenty twenty two as well. Um, Were were you surprised by anything? early on and maybe JOK could have been a pleasant surprise, but as far as, you know, where they attacked, because this is one and we're, we're talking about all these defensive tackles. And I know a lot of us, and we spent so much time talking about edge and it's kind of almost like, you know, the John Travolta gif, like, like, well, like what happened? Because yeah. we all spent, so. We, I mean, we talked about edges in first round, second round, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, undrafted free agents. And they were like, all right, well, we know some people down at uh, Charlotte. So we'll just have a couple of kids who had association with that school. Yeah. But it, it, for me, it's it was, that was one of the surprises to me, but give some thoughts here. And then of course, you know, about where maybe we all may have been wrong, where they, you know, we thought edge was very important to them, but
0: maybe at the end of the day, it was not. It's a good point. I think we all left the draft pretty surprised that they didn't bring in an edge, but as it got into the, into the situation, I think the situation dictated a lot of things where I'm pretty sure I feel comfortable saying they did not expect Greg Newsom to become available when he became available. It became very real to them that they could get him. I think their ultimate second plan was J. Okay. I think they loved yep. him from the very beginning, uh, but didn't think that Newsom would be there. And when Newsom wasn't there, I think they kind of had a pecking order and an in was eventually in that. I think we probably all thought they loved Pay. When Pay goes 21, they might have considered if if Indy had taken a corner, which is a very plausible route for them, they could have taken Pay a little later there at 26. So I think they had edges they liked, Jeff, and I think that they could have been interested in the side. I think they could have been very interested in some of those guys. But, okay, 26 is here. We got this guy. Let's take him. We need him. We like his skill set. Okay, now we're going into round two. Let's start poking around here. We really love – I think they loved Rondale Moore. That's kind of my hot take. Yep. And when Rondale Moore went – because, you know, when they – they jumped at Anthony Schwartz. I mean, they yep. you know that. They jumped at him. They were – boom, the pick is in. They got him. So I think that they probably – and this is, again, just a hunch. They they definitely coveted uh, Rondale. And then when Rondale – would he go, 48 or 49? I think they said, okay – we we're trying to maybe choose between those two. Now we're down to one guy that we really love right here, and we can't believe he's on the board. Let's go up and get him because at 52, we won't have to eat up too much draft capital. We can get a swap and keep the pick. So I wasn't necessarily surprised. I guess the surprising thing to me was that they were able to somehow come out with those two. I was definitely thinking edge, but after the second round, I got to like, okay, the the edge spot here at, it's at 89, or sorry, it was 91, is not strong. So you're kind of going to reach for something because all these mocks we did before Jeff, like the 91 mocks were like Milton Williams and even Peyton Turner got to sliding to some of those. And it just got really wonky. And I think they didn't want to force it. And then the edge class fell off and you saw like the likes of, and I don't like, I don't disrespect Malcolm Coonsie, but like those types of guys were going and you're like, okay, I don't really love those guys. So I kind of understand. I, I, I would imagine if we got truth serum and Andrew Barry, he would say, Edge was a big part of what we wanted, but we didn't necessarily find anybody that we had ranked highly enough when we picked that it was like we need to take that guy. So then you, in my opinion, this is very early going into next season and kind of looking way down the line An edge and a wide receiver will be at the top of what they want to do. Who knows which one they ultimately go with because Schwartz and DPJ and some of these guys could make it a little more challenging of a decision, but um, they, there's, there's, in my opinion, a pretty big need there at defensive end, too. Unless, you know, unless Clowney or, or Tack kind of catch on and they want to stick around for a while, which is ultimately possible, Jeff. You know that. Like, they could sign another year or two deals. So, um I was not surprised until James Hudson, just because the name hadn't really registered. I know James Hudson. We all watched him try to take Tyson Campbell's head off in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. Like We knew James Hudson. We watched him at the Senior Bowl, but it just didn't. I had kind of thought, Jeff, and you can tell me what you thought. I thought they were going to take an interior guy, not an outside guy. So like, I was kind of surprised they took him, but going back and watching it like I've watched it, I certainly understand the rationale for it. Tony Fields, in my opinion, if it's just what I think is that they liked him a lot and they saw him as a great uh, backup plan to JOK if they didn't get him in some form or fashion, they're like, we've met with him, we like him. Might as well take him. He can provide depth and, and, ultimately, maybe improve the basement of our linebacker room. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe Mac Wilson beats him out. Who knows how that goes? But yeah, who knows how that goes? <laughs> I guess all, anything can happen. Miracles can happen. But like, if they're thinking of how do we get the basement of our linebacker room to be competent and good special teams players, there's certainly some things to like with Tony Richard account. Another guy where I was like, uh, okay, yeah, sure. I guess, uh, I, I guess it's a he can be a center field type safety. They hope and they can he can beat out. Or compete with to make Sheldrick Redwine a better player. I mean, people forget they just weren't they they weren't playing Sheldrick Redwine like your ideal situation last year, Jeffy. Your year two safety takes Anderson Deo off the field. Yep. They couldn't play him. They just flat out couldn't play him. And when he did play, he had a spot interception, which was great. The indie game, he caught a, a terrible Philip Rivers late throw over the middle. But if you go back and keep watching and watching and watching, he was he was unplayable at times, and that's what kept him off the field. If a coach doesn't trust you, you're a year two safety they want to see what you have. And if you're just complete, you just have to be completely unpracticable guy. Like you just can't, they can't count on you period to not be on the field because Anderson Dale is one of the and wor- nothing against Andrew. He shouldn't have been playing, but he was one of the worst guys in the NFL last year from a production metric standpoint. So, and film, like you could see it. So, yeah, that's that's the guy I guess they're competing there. And I like Togi. I I think he's got a potential to be a nice little three technique in the NFL, but but they they want to keep adding to that position too. And felt, Felton, I can see it. I guess my thought process is is the if you're painting a picture for where Demetric's career goes, he initially beats out Dearness Johnson, who I still think Dearness Johnson's fine. Like I yep. I have no problem with Dearness Johnson. So it's gonna take Demetric like really busting ass and being good in camp and preseason to beat him out. And I guess the goal would be with a pick like that is that he outperforms your expected level of play and ultimately becomes a guy who you maybe replace Kareem Hunt with. When Kareem goes to get his next deal somewhere else, he slides into Kareem's role because they're going to sign Nick back. If they don't sign Nick back, I'll be stunned. So I think Nick gets another couple years, and you can really start looking at another back down the line. But a, a hybrid guy that can do some of the things Kareem can do, motioning out of the backfield, putting him out on routes, he's more... More than comfortable running routes. He's just got backfield experience too, so that's where my mind went with it. But it, would it surprise me, Jeff, if Tony, Account, and Felton weren't on the roster start of the year? No, but it also wouldn't surprise me if they were. So that's kind of where I'm at with it, brother.
1: Yeah, I think there's certainly a question of whether or not there, you know, there's some more moves to be made. Um, and as to your point of, you know, did we think possibly, you know, they would maybe have more interest in a guard? Uh, we'd obviously heard a ton of interest that they had, maybe in Quinn minors and maybe it wasn't, you know, just at center. Maybe it was to play the interior. I'm wondering if that's where they uh, eventually feel what they can do with Hudson, or do they feel that Hudson could be that Chris Hubbard, you know, sixth guy can play inside, yeah. can play outside. Uh, it just you know it just wasn't the guy we were talking about, and when he heard offensive tackle when that first literally was said, it was like, well, really? Um, yeah. Because you know we still have these you know holes that we appear to have on defense. I think Fields and Karamo, uh, you know, Awooso Karamo Koromo are, are going to be part of this Baltimore package. You know where you're going to line up and say, well, look, you know, we can run with you. Other linebackers that we have on this team cannot run with you. We can run with you laterally. You know, so hopefully that defensive scheme will work there and it'll be you know, easier to take the forced, I mean, the, uh, the planned runs away from Lamar Jackson. We'll see, you know, if Bateman turns out to be this guy, because we say this every year about a wide receiver the Baltimore. Is this going to be the one where it, it gets Lamar better? Um, Sheldrick Redwine, here was the difference between Sheldrick Redwine and Andrew Sandejo. Yes, Andrew Sandejo was getting beat like a drum but at least he was in the right spot where he was yeah. supposed to be for all yeah. the athletic ability that Sheldrick Redwine has. There's times where he finds his way to the ball and there's, there's one interception. And uh, I believe it was actually the one of the playoffs. I'm not sure if he was in the right spot as much as more as like, he saw the ball and kind of went after it. You mm-hmm. need to be your assignment first. Um, you know, you don't gamble as a guy who comes off the bench late in the season. You better at least do what you're asked of. But what we saw, look, they've put a lot of emphasis on this safety position. Uh, they went really deep, and I think one of the things that maybe drew them to account was the intelligence. Um, nobody's beating out those first three right now. Obviously, they want to get Delpit on the field. Uh, they really like the uniqueness of Harrison at his size and his length and being able to play the safety position. JJ3 was certainly brought in here for a reason, and he is never going to come off the field. Um, but, Jake, this is literally rich people problems that we are kibitzing about right now. I mean, we're talking about you know guys that maybe won't make the roster, guys who shouldn't make the roster. And it's just yeah. an amazing, an amazing haul for what they've done. And look, you know, to the credit, some of this was put in place before Barry and you know, Stefanski took this all over but they literally have taken this golden opportunity and they have ran like hell with it.
0: Yeah. And this is a good question here about viewing Schwartz, the similar to Callaway it's different regimes in terms of people in charge of making those decisions, but ultimately they're a similar player. They're a guy who can lift the lid off a of defense and can run away from people. Callaway came in with far more route nuance and, 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 of and a play a playability early, but Schwartz is a, for, by all accounts, a, a more disciplined human being, uh, the, the, and that makes a difference, you know I mean? I would, just... I would compare it a little differently. I would say you look at the
1: Kansas City Chiefs. You look at Tyree Kill, but you also look at McCall Hardman. They're sure. both able to give you similar type of things due to the fact that they have world-class speed. If Anthony Schwartz is only McCall Hardman, that is more than fine. That is sure. absolutely more than fine. He, there's a really good chance he'll never be the number one or the number two for this franchise, which is more, more than okay. But mm-hmm. the fact when he comes onto the field, and say it's Odell, and say it's Jarvis, or even Donovan Peoples-Jones, who is his closest athletic match as far as the wide receiver position, Kareem Hunt, the tight ends, or Hooper, or if Anthony Schwartz comes on the field, he is the one the secondary is going to have to turn their heads to and say, well, who's got him? It's not going to be anybody else, because if there's a possibility that Anthony Schwartz is somehow mixed in where your 5th, 6th, 7th defensive back is the one that's drawn that assignment. The odds are really, really good, Jake, that that person is three to four tenths of a second slower than Anthony Schwartz, and they're going to get cooked. And that is the biggest calling card. And, yes, there's refinement and technique and route running that Anthony's going to have to go through. And now that he is 100% committed to this football life, I'm sure he'll put in the work. But there is no substitute for 4-2-7. There just is not. And the fact that he can do jet sweeps, and screens, and these types of things, ran for almost 400 yards at Auburn. That is going to be the biggest asset to this offense, and it won't be due to statistics. It will be due to the fact that Baker Mayfield can now play with a full field. Kevin Stefanski can now play with a full field. Hooper, Najoku, these guys were covered so tightly on short routes. This is literally – the Browns were playing really, really great checkers, but now they have an opportunity to play really good chess
0: yeah that's my point man is that they have been um they've been playing red zone offense on the entire football field so you you really try to uh you try to expand it probably I think that they, That's probably why he was what... so
1: good in the red zone
0: because yeah. he had been doing it the whole time you're you're absolutely right man and it's it's uh it's interesting that that is uh, we we talked about this on our draft show last night that that's the single first addition they made to their offensive side of the football all Mm offseason. So they knew that that was the pressing need. Now, whether they went and seriously hunted guys like uh, Brashad Perriman and some of the others that could run past people, you know, John Ross, or whether there was any consideration of those guys, I don't know, Uh, but they, they certainly prioritized it. You maybe could have gotten Schwartz a little later, but they certainly did not want to risk it. They wanted to get him right then and right there because they like the, the work ethic, the person, and he's got an elite trait that not many people have. He's a right-now speed guy. So, um, yeah, Jeff, tell make sure to tell everybody where they can find you and all of your stuff. Apple's being ridiculous, aren't they, man? Tell, tell folks where they can find you on, on this side, too. Okay, uh, everybody with the latest
1: Um, as you know, as Apple continues, you know, their latest round, I think it's 1405 or whatever, iOS Um, as this has gone on. And this is it it certainly affected the Lockdown Network. It's certainly affected Lockdown Browns. It's affected a lot of podcasts. And when you have somebody as huge as Apple, they're going to continue to go forward and the issues that happen as they go forward. Then they will come back to deal with. Um, to all my listeners, I appreciate you all being so understanding. Jump into Spotify, jump into the brand new Odyssey app, which is fantastic, um, and every other you know podcast streaming app. Uh, you know the show itself at Locked On Browns, uh, all those apps that I have just mentioned. Um, you know, similar to this here, um, there's going to be big steps at Locked On. There's going to be a lot more video content. Uh, We're going to continue to go that route as we continue to grow. And this all happens just due to listeners and everybody who chases around this Browns content, you know, whether it's Jake's show, whether it's my show. Look, everybody grows because I think we have a nice stable group here of everybody that's putting out quality content, has their own individual flair and style to it which gives you, you know, just any avenue you want to hear. And all you, all you animals that are listening to five and six podcasts a day, God bless you. You're feeding Jake's kids. You're feeding my kids. We, you know, we could not be more thankful. Uh, you know, so, of course, the Lockdown Browns podcast as well on Twitter, uh, me personally, at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Uh, you know, DMs are open, ideas to talk ball. Um, but the Malik McDowell conversations, folks, they're, they're, they are over. And for anybody who's followed me, I've never been a fan of signing these guys. I would rather, for me, it's, it's a trust thing. Uh, You know, if I have to worry about the trust factor, it's just not the way I go, you know, and just give somebody else the opportunity, you know, and somebody brought up today, oh, maybe he was an all pro talent. Sure. That always tilts everything. There's no doubt about it. But for a guy who hasn't taken a, you know, a live NFL rep since November 5th, 2016, I don't know if we can throw out the all pro type of stuff.
0: It's been a while. It's gonna it's gonna be a, a really fascinating thing to watch him. You know, from from we won't get to see it up close. I don't know whether they'll open training camp or not, but we'll see if he even makes it to training camp. To be honest, but um, certainly, yeah, so. it'll, it'll it'll be interesting. All of this, I'm, t- I'm just repeating myself. All of this will. This is just an interesting year, man. It's going to be crazy. There's there's a lot of storylines. There's a lot of expectations. And we still this got about not, 90 days to go. So that's all I get to <laughs> This is what we call the wasteland, man. We're going to be creating content out of thin air. So Jeff and I will not be the last time we link up before the season. We always try to get together every month or so, every month or two. And, and, and make sure, again, you're checking out. If you're not already doing the Locked On uh, Browns podcast stuff, you should be. I know you are, most of you. Um, if you're on listening to Jeff's pod, Locked On Browns, try to check us out at the OBR Film Breakdown and give us a chance and see if you, you like some of the stuff we're saying. And everybody in the YouTube, had about 130 of you tonight after the show earlier that the guys did. Lane, Fred, Barry, you guys are awesome for coming back on and joining us. We appreciate you, and I appreciate Jeff for taking time away from his family to uh, to record with us. So until we chat next time, big thanks to Jeff. Big thanks to all of you for joining and listening on both networks. And uh, as usual, go Browns.